I've given today's message the title, Truth, Lies and Conspiracy, uh, the Present and the Future. Now, some of you might be aware that over the last couple of months, and especially in the last two weeks, I've had to put in some significant time into helping another church, not a local church, but another church away, helping them get back to God's word uh, to, and to honour God how they live in this time of COVID and government mandates and stuff. And the church I've been working with, they've been pretty much divided, pretty much straight down the middle over this. And I think it's probably important for us to talk about this as well, because unless you've been living a very insular life, you will have noticed that, that Christians, and, and not just Christians, people of the world as well, are behaving very differently to each other in regards to vaccines and masks and check-in apps, and, and particularly in relation to government mandates. Now, when the COVID pandemic first began, it was something which gripped the world with fear. Now, as Christians, we have nothing to fear. Our complete trust is in God, and our hope and our purpose are not fulfilled in this present earthly life. Our hope and our purpose are fulfilled in Christ. And so, and additionally, we have peace because we know that God is in control and we can trust our Heavenly Father in all things. We can trust him with our present. We can trust him with our future. Now, as I watched on, observing those who hold no such hope, being gripped with fear, the blessing that we have in Christ became evident, that in the midst of turmoil, we have peace. Unbelievers, on the other hand, they have every reason to be fearful because everything they valued was at risk. Now, it wasn't long, however, until I realised that some of my brothers and sisters in Christ were fearful too that the long-held threescore years and ten benchmark of human lifespan had been long exceeded by many, um, mainly through advances in healthcare. But now, all of a sudden, Christians who are currently in their 70s and 80s and 90s were faced with their own mortality. And they realised that even though they were reasonably healthy, it all of a sudden became reasonably likely that if they caught the virus, that they could be seriously debilitated or possibly even die within days. Now, as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when we see people of the world panic over such a thing. After all, they do not have the same eternal hope and assurance that disciples of Jesus cling to. But when Christians demonstrate the same sort of fear and panic, that should highlight for us where our heart is truly set. Our, tr our heart is not meant to be set on this present physical earthly life. As Christians, um, as it says in Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The life we live today, we live in all of its fullness for Christ. When threats arise, we don't fear and we certainly don't panic because we know that the Lord is in control. And we know that when we do die... That isn't the end, because the next step is glory. To live is Christ, to die is gain. But at the same time, let's not be glib about this. 
we know that, that every time a loved one dies, even if they are a believer, there is a very real grief that we feel as we lose them. But at the same time, we have mixed emotions because with joy, we await the resurrection. Now, since the opening stages of the pandemic, I've been very surprised and saddened to see within the Christian church a very strong shift in fear. Some within the Christian church are now filled with a fear that there's some sinister human element at play here. And this is a fear that Satan has been using to consume some within the church. He's been using it to divide the church. He's been using it to limit evangelism. And he's been using it to destroy fellowship within a church. It's a fear that so consumes some Christians that their thoughts are dominated by these fears. The drive to share their fears has become their passion and their focus and their life and their conversation. And the thing is, it, it doesn't drive them to loving sacrifice. It drives them to anger. It drives them to defiance. It drives them even to ridicule and demean their brothers and sisters in Christ. Have, have you noticed this going on amongst Christians? Some folk are consumed by the belief that there's a worldwide agenda and there's a conspiracy happening. And some of us may have friends, they, they may be close friends, who are consumed by this. And they're so stirred up about it and, and they're so evangelical about it. That's what they want to tell everybody about. So much so that you might at times find yourself thinking, is there something wrong with me? Why am, why am I not so worried about this? Do you feel the same as I do? That at times there's people mocking you. You, you follow the example of the sacrificial love of Christ and we obey the commandment of God to follow the law and to submit to the authorities. And not only people of the world, but other Christians mock us for doing it. And they're looking down their nose at me. And some of them feel sorry for me, telling me that I'm going to die because I've had a needle. Do you sometimes feel that people don't think that you're a good Christian? Or you might even think, oh, am I a good Christian? Because you're not as stirred up about this as some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are. A few weeks ago, in a lot of churches, it's finally come to a head. And in some people's minds, the line has been drawn. And strangely enough, the lines have been drawn over something as minor as the government directive that we have to wear a mask when we're gathered indoors. And so under these rules, as we come to church and come into the building, we have to wear a mask. That's the government rule. Now, some whole churches have said, we will not do that. We will not do what the government has told us to do. Some individuals within churches have said, well, I'll come to the church, but I'm not going to wear a mask. And some individuals have said, well, if you wear a mask, I'm not going to come to the church and be with you. Now, in the discussions I've had, I've heard many excuses and many reasons are given, and I've noticed that that is what really right, lies behind it in most cases 
is an entrenched anti-government, anti-authority attitude that produces a prideful character of defiance and self-righteousness and that feeling that you're not going to tell me what to do. And it comes from a heart that will not submit. It's about my rights. It's about my freedoms. It's about a quest for autonomy. I want to be my own master. Now, I'm going to say something which um, might be a bit controversial, but then we're going to be looking to the scriptures. This sort of attitude is a forsaking of the very nature of the gospel. We've just finished studying Colossians and we've been learning about taking off self and putting on Christ. Now, as we live by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, it's, it's not about rule keeping, right? Let, let's get this clear from the outset. Living by the Spirit isn't about rule keeping. Living by the Spirit is about Christ living in our heart. And so as we walk with Christ, we walk in his ways. And if we are living by the Spirit, we will not break a commandment of God. Can we be agreed on this? If we are walking by the Spirit, we are walking in the ways of Christ. Therefore, we will not break a commandment of God. And so if we do break a commandment of God, we're not walking by the Spirit. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. So... I'm hearing from, from some Christians, we have to fight the government on this and it's our duty to disobey them because they're taking our rights away from us. Now, to me, that does not sound like the sort of thing I ever heard Jesus say, ever. What does God say to Christians about the governing authorities? Well, the, the classic text on how Christians relate to the authorities, we find it in Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, most people will begin in Romans chapter 13. Uh, but Paul's line of thinking actually begins much earlier than this. And back in chapter 12, he starts off in the start of chapter 12 about talking about sacrificial living. And, and spiritual worship is to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And then from then on in chapter 12, he's sort of giving examples of how sacrificial living is honouring God. We give up our own rights and we love like Christ loves. So by the time we get to chapter 12, verse 14, Paul is setting this in the context of the words of Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to look at shortly. And Jesus's radical transformational teaching to love our enemies. This too is part of sacrificial living, which is spiritual worship. You know, we, we might come to church and we might talk about spiritual worship. What's spiritual worship? Oh, that's when the band is so good, we just get carried along. Or it might be spiritual worship. That's when, you know, the, the smoke and the pretty lights shining up through it, it just gives this atmosphere of really nice stuff. That's not spiritual worship giving our bodies as a sacrifice to God in the way we live day by day. That's spiritual worship. So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now, in the context of, of loving sacrificially, in the context of loving our enemies, in the context of overcoming evil with good, this is what he says about the authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities and ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. Now, of course, every time I read that, people are wanting to jump up and say, but, but, but there's, there's exceptions to the rule. Yes, there are exceptions, but they are rare. As I've thought back over my life, I cannot yet think of a time when obeying the government would have required me to break a commandment of God. It happens every day all over the world. Think of North Korea, where people are not allowed to worship Christ. They, they break that commandment of their government in every, every time they do it. And so if the government ever tells you to worship an idol, or if they ever tell you to murder someone, or if they ever tell you to steal something, by all means, disobey the authorities. Knowing, of course, that we will suffer because of it. And, and people in these other nations where, where it is illegal to be a Christian, they do suffer because of it. But we know that when we suffer, this is part of being a Christian. But in all other matters, we must continue to obey them. This is God's word. Some people are of the attitude, 
okay, but, but they've made some bad decisions so I don't ever have to obey them. No, not at all. And so when it comes to, to obeying the authorities, God's word is clear. It could not be more clear. But some people try to justify their self-centered, defiant spirit by twisting the scriptures to try and make them say what they do not say. By the way, if, if we're talking about wearing a mask, is wearing a mask breaking a commandment of God? Not at all, absolutely not. In fact, in this case, it actually represents the self-sacrificial giving up of one's freedoms in the love of one's brother or sister. That's what it's about. But despite this, there are people in the church today who believe that it is their duty to rarely, if ever, obey the government. And instead of obeying the command of God to submit to the authorities, they believe a lie. And that lie tells them that they are being godly by disobeying the authorities. And even when the authorities are not commanding them to break any of God's commandments, they feel justified in their disobedience. Now, to me, this is perplexing, perplexing. To believe that breaking a commandment of God is a godly thing. How does something like that find its way into the church? I'll tell you how. It's the product of false teachers and false prophets. If you are being taught something which is contrary to God's word, the person who is teaching you is a false teacher. If a prophecy has been made and it's telling you to break a commandment of God, you have heard the words of a false prophet. Perfect instruction for godly living is found where? It's not a trick question. Perfect instruction for godly living is found where? God's word. God's word. Not in the book, I've got a hippopotamus on my roof eating cake. <laughs> Sorry, that's not truth if, if, we've, if we've broken anyone's heart there. Um, so perfect instruction for godly living is found in the scriptures and we can trust the scriptures. Let me tell you, it is very, very hard very difficult to filter truth from lies on the internet. The apostles are the ones who wrote the scriptures, whereas we have no idea who's typing on their keyboard at the other end of a discussion group. And even if you do know the other person, do you know the person who has taught them? Or do you know where they have gleaned their information from? When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said this. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, back in Timothy's day, I long for Timothy's day. 
um, except maybe they didn't have air conditioning then. But back in Timothy's day, they were well aware they could tell when a false teacher came into their church because they'd rock up there in person. It's not so easy today. Today, Satan provides a very full and efficient service to cater for this. Direct from the internet, direct from your phone, straight into your home. In fact, we can take our chosen false teachers with us wherever we like to go. And when we feel like we want to hear them, we can pull our phone out of our pocket and listen to them. And we know that he will satisfy their every passion. He will satisfy their every desire. They can hear exactly what the flesh wants to hear. And if the person wants autonomy, if the person wants to do what is right in their own eyes, their chosen false teacher will give them some very plausible arguments as to why God's command to submit to the authorities doesn't count in their situation. And if anyone listens to a false teacher, it won't be long until that person turns away from listening to the truth and wanders into myths. Some folk I've been hearing are, are taking their guidance from novels that are fiction. It's fiction. It's not real. It's made up. It's a story. Likewise, much of the stuff that's being read on the internet today is fiction. False teaching, false prophecy, very exciting, might get the blood boiling, all very appealing to the flesh. And something I've noticed is that some Christians aren't excited about their faith unless there's some tangible thing they can fight against. And if I can fight against that thing, that makes them passionate for Jesus. You know what? We don't need something to fight against, whether it be real or whether it be pretend to get us passionate about Jesus. The fact that Jesus died on the cross for us, that should be enough to get us passionate for Jesus, should it not? And it's leading Christians to desert the truth and wander off into myths. What myths am I hearing? I don't know why, maybe it's happened to everybody, but I seem to have found my way onto some text messaging things and some, some email things. I'm always getting sent things. And so I've been, he I've been hearing that the governments of the world are conspiring together to kill off the population. I've been hearing that here in Australia, our government is illegitimate. I've been hearing that the Australian government is actually listed, that the Commonwealth of Australia is listed on the stock exchange and it's, it's owned by wealthy people. Therefore, we don't need to submit to the authorities because they're illegitimate. I'm hearing that Russia are the goodies and NATO are the baddies. I'm hearing that it's a pandemic. It was all planned to happen. And of course, I keep getting told, if you don't believe what I believe, you're a sheeple. That means you're a dumb sheep. You're just following along, getting led astray. And it breaks my heart that people are quick to believe lies. Last week, I was told that the schools are going to vaccinate children without their parents' approval. Um, and this is something which has swept through social media. It's a lie. It is not true. It's a lie. And if you've heard that and passed it on, what does it mean if you, if you pass a lie on? 
you're a liar and a gossip. Now, we should be worried about this. As Christians, truth is our core business. We don't just believe anything. Truth is our core business. Revelation chapter 21 tells us the destination of all liars is the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Now, that should shake us up a bit and go, actually, God's pretty keen for us to always tell the truth and to know the truth and to test things, to see that it is true. And yet those who believe conspiracies don't check the facts. They tell me they check the facts, though. I've checked it on the internet. Seriously, do we understand how, how internet search engines work? They know what I like to read, and so that's where it sends me. They know what I want to hear, and so that's where it sends me. It knows what people like me like to read, and it knows how much time they've spent reading certain things, and so when I search for something, oh, this bloke liked that, Michael will like it too, and they'll send me there as well. And so the research on the internet is just backed up with lie after lie after lie. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, he said, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, that's, that's pretty cutting, these vain discussions come from wandering away from the truth and being consumed with myths and being consumed with speculations and being consumed with false teachings. We've just studied the book of Colossians. And in Colossians, there was a warning about bringing in other beliefs that are not of Christ. From chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of Christ's mystery, sorry, of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good character and the firmness of your faith in Christ. All we need 
is right there in God's word. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And yet for some, is Christ not enough? Is Christ not enough that we, we need, we feel the need to search for more knowledge? We need to search for more wisdom. Now, what's been happening is these myths, these conspiracy theories, have been getting presented at fact, as fact. And the number of times I've been told by somebody, they'll tell me something absolutely outrageous, and I don't know how a sane person would believe it, and then they say, and it's fact. I've, I've seen that it's true, it's fact. And the thing is, once a person's become convinced and believes these things, I've been thinking about this, and to me it appears as if, as if they've had a reverse born-again experience, right? They are completely changed, but they're changed for the worse. They once used to have a joy in their life, and now there's no joy. They once used to have a peace in their life that Christ gave them, but now it's anything but peace. And they once used to just want to tell everybody about Jesus, and now they just want to tell everybody about their conspiracy. They've been totally changed. False teachings are a serious thing. They're destructive for those who hear it and believe it. But woe to those who teach it. Woe to those who repeat it. Woe to those who link to it and like it and pass it on. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. You know, as Christians, sometimes we talk about intergenerational sin, you know, the, the sins of the father being passed down to the son and then that son passes the sins down onto his son. And in my experience, there, nowhere is this more true than the sin of refusing to submit to the authorities. The father passes his sin onto his son and that son passes his sin on to his son. And we, we justify it. We say, oh, yeah, I'm just, yeah, it's just the way I was brought up. Yeah, exactly. It was sinful. And he's passed on sin. Now, if any of us ever encourage somebody else to break any of God's commands, whoa. And if any of us ever encourage someone to break God's command by not submitting to the authorities, it's no different. Whoa. It seems that the motivation for not submitting to the authorities is the belief, not going from the scriptures, but, but mostly from the internet, that the government have an evil agenda, the government is impinging on my family and, or impinging on my life, the reason given could be it's all about control, you know, and I'm not going to let them control me. 
And the words slippery slope or thin edge of the wedge always seem to come up. And if we don't fight this, what comes next? And with that one, I'm perplexed by this. I mean, God is so gracious to us that he, he forgives us of the sins that we have done. But we think it's our duty to judge the government for sins they have not yet done. Strange thinking. Now, most of these conspiracies that people are believing are coming from nameless, unconfirmed sources that get repeated over and over again so many times that it must be true, of course. Do you know what that's called? Gossip. Gossip. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God's standard for truth is on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And guess what? A nameless person on the internet doesn't count as a witness. And where the facts are in dispute, a thorough investigation is required. So if you have a couple of witnesses saying this thing and a couple of witnesses saying this, a thorough investigation is required. And that's something that we cannot do with integrity through Google. It cannot be trusted. What we do know is the truth. And the truth of the matter is God is in control. Everything is in hand. It's in the hands of our Heavenly Father. And you might find this hard to believe, but it's all part of God's plan. Today, some people are teaching that the COVID vaccinations are the mark of the beast. Please don't be afraid of that. If you read your Bible, you'll very quickly realise that they are not. Those who are marked with the mark of the beast are those who worship Antichrist. Now, I've had the vaccination, but I don't remember worshipping Antichrist. And so if it was the mark of the beast, I wouldn't have been able to get it because I haven't worshipped Antichrist. And yet still, some feel it's their duty to fight this evil agenda, which is because it's ushering in the end. And so the question is, at what point as Christians, when it does come to the end, at what point as Christians are we to stand up and fight Antichrist? Does anyone have that answer? I'll tell you what the Bible says. Never. Never. When the beast comes to make war on the saints and to conquer them, mind you, it's only happening because God is allowing it. And the beast will make war on the saints and the beast will conquer them. So what are Christians supposed to do? Stand up and fight? No. This is God's will. And we read in Revelation chapter 13, his word to the saints when this happens. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, in other words, put in jail, to captivity he goes. He's talking to the saints here. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith 
of the saints. What do we do? We faithfully endure, trusting in God, knowing that God has everything in hand. We know that when Jesus does come to fight the final battle, he won't be needing my help or your help to do it. So if we do trust God with our future, if we do know that God is in control and we do know that he has everything in hand, let's come back to how we live today. And let's turn to the teachings of Jesus. Some of the, the greatest and most godly teaching ever heard is in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Some believe that they have to resist the, the government because the government has an evil agenda. What did Jesus teach us about resisting evil and turning the other cheek? Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. By the way, going the extra mile that is specifically about when the authorities are forcing you to do something that you do not want to do. Right? Jesus is talking to a people who are living in an occupied nation. What that means is the Romans have come in and they've given them a jolly good flogging. They didn't kill them all though. They've just become the new rulers. And so they are, they are an occupied nation. The, the Roman soldiers are still there, occupying the land, keeping their own law and order. And the locals hated it. Imagine how we would feel if China came in and gave us a good flogging and then they occupied us and made us work for them and, and charged us taxes. We, we wouldn't feel very good about this, would we? Would we? No. Now, under the rules of occupation, a Roman soldier had the right to demand any passerby to carry his pack for a mile. And then he could grab another passerby and force him to carry the pack for the next mile. How would we feel about that? That's collaborating with the enemy. I'd never do that. You might want to rebel, perhaps. Well, that's not the way of Jesus. Basically, what Jesus is saying, if somebody orders you to do that, don't despise it. Treat it as an opportunity for public service. Don't just do the one mile. Do two miles. Now, this only makes sense if we have the mind of Christ. So then we can sort of think about masks. Am I being forced to wear a mask? Well, not if I see it as an opportunity to honour God by willingly providing a public service. This only makes sense if we have the mind of Christ. And when we look at it from the perspective of the sacrificial love of Jesus, 
it makes perfect sense. And as we remember that he calls us to have this same sacrificial love for others, it makes perfect sense. He gave up his rights to be nailed to cross so that we could have life. He suffered for our sake. Surely we can endure the limits on our physical freedoms for the sake of the most frail and the most vulnerable. I, I am thoroughly embarrassed and deeply ashamed that often those who are most against the authorities, those who are most defiant, those who are quickest to break God's command by disobeying the authorities, those who are most reluctant to lose a few of their freedoms for the sake of the other, and those who are most willing to listen to lies and not test the lies and repeat the lies, and those who seem to be the most afraid about what the future is bringing claim to be Christians. I'm deeply embarrassed and deeply ashamed. Let's not be afraid. We know that God has everything in control. Do we agree on this? Some, some of you agree a little bit. Let's try that again. We know that God has everything in control. Do we agree on this? Yeah. We know that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's start taking that seriously. So for us to live is Christ, that means we take off self and we put on Christ. And we let the sacrificial love of Christ be evident in the way that we live. Even when it's something that we don't want to do. We sacrificially love by doing it. Now, if that's got you thinking and your head is filled with a whole heap of questions, I have no idea how long I've just gone for. Uh, but I spoke at at that other church I mentioned during the week, and we covered a lot more topics, but on this very thing, and I spoke for nearly an hour and a half. If anyone wants to hear more of that, if you've got more questions you want answered, let me know, and I'll give you a link so that you too can hear it. It's not public up on the website, it's not for the whole world to hear because I was speaking into a specific church. But if you need to know more, let me know and I'll give you a link to that website. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are supreme. We want to thank you that you have the whole world in your hands. The history of this world has been your story and the future will be at your command. Lord, we, we thank you that we have absolutely nothing to fear because we know the end of the story that Christ will come to slay his enemies. But even so, the best bit of the story is Christ comes bringing salvation to those who are eagerly waiting for him. And Lord, we want to thank you 
that it's not up to us to pull the world into order. Vengeance is mine, is what you said. So we leave it all in your hands, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness for when we have not submitted to the authorities or for when we have not respected them and for when we have not given them honour. Lord, it reveals to us that there is still some of the sinful nature lurking within, wanting us to be our own Lord and to be our own master instead of submitting to you. Lord, we acknowledge that you are our Lord. We acknowledge that you are our master. And as our master, help us to honour you by doing what you commanded, submitting to your appointed authorities. Lord, give us the wisdom to know when we must disobey. But may we never use it as a loophole to satisfy the craving of the flesh for autonomy. And Lord Jesus, help us to love our brother and sister in the nature of your self-sacrificial love. We praise you that you gave up everything for our sake. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would live and function with the very mind of Christ because he lives within us. Amen. I'm just going to give a very short testimony. Some of you have probably never overtaken me on the road, ever. Not many have. I've been overtaken by more cars in the last two weeks than I think I have in the previous four years before. Um, Every one of us are going to be challenged by God's word. And as I was preparing to, um, to share about having to submit to the authorities, God did something that Robin's been trying to do to me for how many years, Robin? 29 years. Um, if, if you're wondering why I sometimes wear um, long clothes occasionally, it's because I have to hide the bruises. <laughs> It's the speed limiter on the car. It it hits something in the passenger's seat, hits me every time I exceed the speed limit. Um, So, no, but I've been challenged by this. Um, I've sort of learned that if I drove at 108, the the, uh, police never book me. Uh, If I'm in a 110 zone, if I drove at 118, I would never get booked. And the way I justified it in my mind is they obviously don't mind. If I was doing the wrong thing, they'd book me. And so that's what I've done for many, many years. I've just driven at eight kilometres an hour over the speed limit. Um, I have been disobeying the authorities. And the last couple of times I've driven down the Mooney, my trip has taken me 20 minutes longer each way, each time. And that's how it's, that's something that's happened to me. Um, And I'm pretty sure that every one of us when we learn that we need to submit to the authorities and we honour God by doing it, there'll be changes that you need to make in your life too. I don't think Robin's heard that until now. 
Uh, I was keeping it secret. I was waiting for it to be a surprise for her. And she'll be sitting there, I think there's something wrong with my husband. Um, yeah, that's all.